Do you find yourself getting stuck realizing that maybe, just maybe, you are overthinking some of your songs? Or maybe even if you don't realize that you're overthinking your songs, you have at least realized that you deal with writer's block kind of a lot, which is maybe a good sign that we are indeed overthinking our songs. So in this episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast, we are going to talk about three simple, easy ways to stop overthinking your songs. Something I think we all could gain something from. Let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Joseph Adala. Honored that you would take some time out of your busy day to talk songwriting with me. You could be listening to anything right now, but you are choosing to listen to a podcast about songwriting and learning songwriting rather than an entertainment podcast or something like that. And that means that songwriting is important to you because, well, who, who else spends time listening to a songwriting podcast? So that's something that gets me excited because that means people still care about the craft of songwriting, uh, which is good. Of course they do. But also sometimes you start to wonder, especially with some of the songs that are popular these days and some people give up and they're like, oh, people don't pay attention to the lyrics. It's a whole thing. The fact that you care enough means a lot. I'm glad you're here. We're going to be talking about how to not overthink our songs. And if you haven't already, be sure to grab my free guide on 20 different ways to start writing a song. This is a good way to avoid writer's block at the beginning of the songwriting process. So if you're sitting down overthinking about what song should I write next, I'm going to write my next great song. What will it be? What do I start with? Do I grab my guitar? If you're overthinking that sort of thing, that's the guide for you. Actually, technically, it's a cheat sheet now. It's even shorter than it used to be, and it has 20 different ways to start writing a song instead of simply 10. That's the songwritertheory.com slash free guide if you haven't grabbed that already. And uh, conveniently enough, I actually got an email very soon around the time that I realized that this is an episode that I wanted to do. And this episode sort of came from the idea as I've been going through all of your responses and responding to them all in the bonus podcast episodes, one of the, the, the main through line, of course, is people talking about struggling to finish songs. And we have a video series that started that is, that is about that. And I believe we're two videos into that three video series as of this episode coming out. I might be wrong about that, but that's on the YouTube channel. And also, I think I did a couple podcasts sort of around the idea of finishing. But another thing I noticed that kept sort of coming up, and this one was a little more vague or, or a little more uh, opaque, I guess, it was a little harder to see because people didn't necessarily say it directly. But there was a lot of questions that it, it's not that they're bad questions and or bad struggles, I guess I should say. They're understandable struggles, but also there's an element to it where it's like, OK, I can tell that you're overthinking this. And that's probably a better problem than underthinking, if I had to choose. Uh, but that is something that can get in our way. And PJ, somebody who uh, emails me, I, I at least know for sure he's emailed me probably three times that I remember in my head, but I feel like it's more like five to six. Always emails with some encouraging words, so I appreciate you, PJ. But he also says something really insightful. It may seem simple and obvious, but it's really insightful because I think sometimes we don't realize this is true, even though it's obviously true. But he said that his number one biggest songwriting struggle is himself. I think he technically used the word me, um, but himself. 
And that is true for all of us. That's true for, of all, for all of us. Our number one songwriting problem is us. And this isn't the meat of the podcast yet. We'll get into the three main ideas to actually deal with this. But getting out of our own way is, is, is really where this all begins. We got to get out of our own way. And almost all songwriting problems that we have can be attributed back to ourselves. Whether it's getting out of our own way and getting out of our own head with writer's block and with dealing with our own perfectionism, or whether it be getting ourselves to write whether we feel like it or not. One of the recurring themes with people talking about their struggle is that they just stop writing lyrics or you know, they don't really know where to go next, so they just stop or they can't write a chorus. Uh, those are just the ones off the top of my head, right? But, but, but it's all this, I can't X. And for, for most of those things, it's not like if somebody says something like, I don't know any music theory and I can't put my melody to a chord progression. I'd be like, can't is still a strong word. It's just going to be super excruciating for you if you don't know music theory. It just is, um, which is why we're going to have another podcast probably next week's episode that will deal with the easiest way to write a song. Just, just the easiest direction, especially for those of you that maybe don't want to learn theory or don't want to rely on theory as heavily or just generally the easiest way to write a song in what order. Um, but and, and, and that connects to another thing, getting in our own way, right? When, when we're stubborn about, oh, I don't want to learn why. I, I don't want to spend some time to, to learn how keys work. I don't want to spend any time learning more about chords that's that's our own problem too right if we're not willing to to take some time to learn music theory or learn a little bit more about meter or 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 rhyming that's also us getting in our own way so almost all the different struggles we have oh i don't know what to do next almost all of these struggles are things that are ultimately we can't get out of our own way we're overthinking it we're not instead of uh, my, my, my old boss had this great phrase. He, he talked about learned helplessness and learned helplessness was about when people learned to become helpless, where they didn't try to solve their own problem. They didn't like go find the podcast to solve the issue. They just said, I can't do X and then threw their hands in the air and gave up. And we all can fall into that trap sometimes where, you know, we have the solution in front of us, but we don't do it right? I have a free music theory guide. You grabbed it and then you didn't read it. And then you say, well, Joseph, I, can't, I, I, I don't even know how to begin to write a chord progression. Well, <laughs> the resource is there. <laughs> the resource is there. And, um, and yeah, some things aren't going to be, you know, music theory is one of those things. That's, it has some element that's going to be dense. And this isn't about music theory. So I'll stop talking about music theory. It's just a good example of just another thing where we kind of get in our own way where we say, oh, I can't learn X, or I don't want to learn X, or, oh, I want to make songwriting easy, but I'm unwilling to learn the thing that will make songwriting more easy, or, or writer's block and all that. So anyway, really insightful, but super simple thing that PJ said in an, in an email that I thought connected well with this episode. So before we dove into the three main ideas, I figure I'd throw out there that for all of us, the first thing we need to do is look in the mirror, because generally our biggest problem is 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 us we are always going to be our own greatest enemy when it comes to songwriting or basically much of anything in life 
Idea number one. And this is to stop overthinking your songs. Don't treat your songs like they are your magnum opus. None of us can control what our magnum opus is. And I think we all like to think that, and even a lot of times, like even movie makers will make a movie to try to intentionally make, this is my magnum opus. This is the final at one. It's going to define my career. But the, maybe the, the beauty and the tragedy of art is you never determine what determines your art, like your artistic, what people remember about you. Whether it's the extremes, like the bands who the one song they have that they hate is the by far their most popular song. So they have to like sing it at every show because that's what everybody is there to see, but they hate the song. That's an extreme, right? But just in general, not having the attitude of putting too much pressure on any single song is going to go a long way because a lot of times our overthinking of a song and, and putting too much pressure on a song comes from that we think of this song as this is it. We fall in love with the song. It's, it's not the same, but it's, it sort of reminds me of the, the writing concept where they talk about kill your darlings. And this is mostly an author thing. I guess if you write movies too, but it's mostly a story thing and it it has kind of multiple meanings and sometimes it's used in different ways, but it's really about, you know, if you have this plot line you really love or this side character that you really love or, or even a main character that you love, if they don't work in the context of the book, as much as you love them, you have to get rid of them. So it's the idea of putting the art, letting the art be what it needs to be instead of, forcing something in there because you like it. And sometimes it's also used as like, a, even if you love a character as an author, if the right thing for the story is to literally kill off that character in the story, you also should do that. Sometimes it's used in that way, although I think that's not really the, in, the original intent. Regardless, it's kind of connected to this and where it's it's the artist kind of getting in the way of what the the art needs. And... And it, it, it also is just something where we need to kill our own darlings in a admittedly different way, but we need to, instead of getting attached to a specific song, like some authors do to a specific character, maybe if a song just isn't working, kill it off, call it a day. Don't, don't get rid of it, right? Maybe in two years, finally, you'll get the inspiration to finish that song. Or maybe the song just really isn't that great and you just got to let it go. You know, maybe it's a song where you're in love with the idea of the song. You think this was a brilliant song idea. You started to write the song. It's just not working. Maybe you need to move on to another song. This also is connected to, uh, you know that I'm, I mentioned this before. Maybe you're new around here. Never ever, or basically never work on one song at a time. Now, when I say work on one song at a time, in any songwriting session, you're sitting down for like an hour, if you have that long, or half hour, or you know, if you're lucky enough to have four hours to just songwrite for you know four hours straight. In those contexts, especially with like an hour long session, sure, work on just one song, and and don't even just like work on one chord progression for one song section of a song, or you know, one melody for one song section of the song because you only have enough time to get it so much done. But generally, you should have more than one song in flight. And a part of the reason for this 
is it alleviates the pressure. If I'm writing five songs at the same time and one song just isn't working and I'm getting frustrated, I still have four other songs that, you know, tonight I always do a songwriting session after the time that I spend making content like this. So tonight when I work on a song, I know that no matter how well tonight's songwriting session goes, tomorrow I'll probably be working on a different song. It might be the case that I choose two days in a row to work on the same song or three days in a row, maybe even a week in a row. But I currently have something like 10 to 15 songs that are somewhere in flight, not counting recording. If we count recording and like editing and, you know, finishing the recording of a song, then we're up to like 25, which maybe is too many. Um, But if we talk just the songwriting portion, right, lyrics, your chord progression slash harmony and and your melody. If we talk about that, probably like 10. So on any given day, based on how I'm feeling that day or based on the one I feel like "Ah, I should probably work on this song, I can work on that. And it puts not too much pressure on any one song because I never really have the sense that this is the song and I need to get this song to work, which then makes it easier to not spend time overthinking it and over obsessing about it because there isn't too much pressure on any one song. Especially because for a lot of these songs, I kind of fully intend for them to, most songs that we write will probably never make it to see the light of day. Even your favorite artists. I mean, I'm as you know, I'm a huge Vertical Horizon fan. And there's still, once in a while, like Matt Scannell will, you know, do an acoustic thing where he plays some deep cut song that never made an album that I've never heard before, right? And I'm the guy who would like peruse crappy cell phone recorded live videos to see every single song that Vertical Horizon has ever performed live in front of anyone. And still there are surprises sometimes. And I'm sure for every song that I've heard for Vertical Horizon, there's like 10 that I've never heard that they finished. They finished. They, it is a fully written song and it just never made any album. And maybe our numbers won't be like that, but there, there just is, doesn't need to be so much pressure on any one song. Now, what I don't want you to hear me saying is that every song should be treated exactly the same, because I don't think this is true either. I think it's one of those where somewhere in the songwriting process, especially the more you write, you start to get a sense of this has potential or a huge potential, and this one doesn't. It's just kind of okay. You know, if you've already written the chord progression and the melody for your verse and your chorus, and you're kind of like, eh, shrug emoji about it. That song probably isn't going to become a great song, right? Because you, what, is the bridge going to redeem the song? <laughs> probably not, right? And and if if you, as the person who's writing the song, aren't even that thrilled with it, you're just kind of like, eh. You know, that, that song maybe is a song to finish or maybe not even finish, put it aside for now, and move on, Right? But if there's a song where you're like, ooh, this this thing, I mean, the melody is really good. I, the, the chorus just, you know, I, I get some little goosebumps just thinking about the chorus melody. And it just really resonates with me personally. That's maybe the song that you spend a little more time really crafting it to make sure you get it right because that's a song that showed potential. This is the same for any, for anything else in life, right? If you dabbled in painting and you realized you sucked at painting, you probably stopped painting sooner than the person that painted and was like, oh, I'm actually pretty good at this. 
right? That's why we're all musicians and songwriters instead of, and maybe you're both, in which case, good for you. That's awesome. But, you know, for example, I'll just pick on myself. I, I cannot draw well. And I tried. I did like art classes as a kid, a bunch of them. And I like drew my own alternate Pokemon cards. Like I, I, I like fixed Pokemon. I think I tried doing like comic strip stuff as a kid. I just don't have it when it comes to drawing. Now, I think I still could learn to be an adequate artist because I think almost anybody can learn to be adequate at pretty much any skill. But, you know, for me to spend the amount of time it would take to become a good artist is just not worth it to me because it takes way less time for me to for me to become better at things I'm more naturally gifted in. I'm more naturally gifted musically than I am with art. So it makes more sense for me to spend time and double down on the thing that I'm more naturally predisposed to. And I think that same concept applies to songs. If we have songs that that have more potential, have more talent, if you will, obviously that doesn't work in that context, but you know, has has more potential in the same way that you or I probably have more musical potential than we do have in drawing or, or um, you know, some other art, writing a book maybe. In that case, we should, you know, that's the song to spend even more time on, on crafting. But don't commit everything to one song. Don't treat your songs like they're your magnum opus. Don't get caught in the trap of this is the song or falling in love with the idea of a song. Try to not get too attached. Be willing to kill your darlings, if you will, when it comes to your songs. And again, that doesn't mean literally delete your song. I would encourage you never delete anything. But don't be afraid to move on. Don't be afraid to just finish a song. If a song feels like it's it's not really going to be one of your great ones anyway, you know, it's probably not worth overthinking. Number two, plan before you write. This is another thing I saw come up a lot, which is people say, I start writing my song and then I get lost. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to say next. And that problem can be solved by going into your song with a plan. I'll relate it again to writing a story, writing a book. If you have an outline and an idea of the general arc that's going to happen in your story, you have a general idea of the main major plot points. That's going to help you to write a book where, yeah, you're filling in gaps and you might go on a side quest over here because it makes sense and you need to develop something about the character or you want to have a chapter that's dedicated to a side character to really flesh them out a little bit better. Sure, you may do that, but you at least have an idea of the general arc of, of what needs to happen, the main most important plot points. And it there's really no reason that we as songwriters wouldn't do the same. It's just going to be a lot easier for us because the plot of a song is going to be way more bare bones than the plot of a book because a book is something like 100,000 words, I think, something like that on average, and a song is something like 200. <laughs> so way less. So it's going to be simpler, but really just a, a one-line outline and by one line, I mean like one line per song section can go a long way where you just say my first verse, I want to, you know, establish the character's marriage. And then in the chorus, I'm going to explain the, the, the dark side or the problem with the marriage. And then in the second verse, I'm going to go back to the past and explain how the marriage got to this point. 
something like that, because now you at least understand what each of your song sections needs to say and what they need to do. All you need to do, and I say all you need to do, I'm not pretending, I'm not diminishing this. This is, of course, a huge part of the writing process is figuring out how to say something, what words or which words specifically to use. That still is going to be the most time-consuming part, of course, to you know edit it, refine it, really get the words to say exactly what you mean. So that's not trivial. But you at least know what each song section needs to do. If, if we get lost because we you know, can't figure out the exact right wording. We know what we're trying to say, but we don't know exactly how to say it. That's that's a normal part of the, the writing struggle. And it's a beautiful part because when you finally get it right, it feels so good. It's one of the most joyous things is when you, you have a line that just isn't working and you tweak it and you tweak it, you totally change it. And then you upgrade some of the words and then you switch some words around and then boom, you finally have like, oh, that's that's the wording that I need. It uses the right words in the right way. The meters, per, everything's just right where it needs to be. One of those glorious things. It takes a lot of work a lot of times. A lot of songwriting is taking joy in the small details, right? If you have a half hour song section session and all you really got out of it is you took your second line of your second verse and you took that from being like a little cringe to actually something that you're like, ooh, that's a pretty good line. That's a good songwriting session. That's great. You know, we're, in songwriting, we have to be obsessed with details because all we have is details. A song is four minutes. We have like 100 to 200 words in a song. So it's all about details. But another thing you can do, especially if you're like, Joseph, okay, you say outline the song. I don't even know where to begin with that. You can always use some tried and true song maps, as some people call them, or song outlines, as makes more sense to me anyway. One of them is your first verse explains the past. And then your chorus very often is more like the present. It's what's currently going on. And then the verse, the next verse, the second verse, it's chronological order, right? That verse then talks about the future or the future, you know, the future that you fear, the future that you hope for, the future that you're striving for, how you hope to feel in the future, how you hope things are different in the future. And then the bridge is always a good opportunity to recontextualize what you're saying in the chorus, add a plot twist, something that just gives the chorus a little bit more umph than it had before, or maybe an extra detail. It's, it's sort of like when you have a, a book where one character just doesn't quite make sense. There's like something about them that just doesn't seem to add up. And then like right at the climax of the book or the movie, that's when you get a new detail about them where it's like, oh, that character makes total sense now. Oh my goodness, how did I not see that? You can have the equivalent of that in your bridge. And then another common outline is the first verse actually deals with the future, the thing that you hope for or the thing that you dread. And then again, the chorus dealing with the present and the verse, the second verse dealing with the past. How did we get here? We already said the, the, the future, what we think might happen, what we fear may happen, what we hope will happen. Then we talked about the present and then we, we said, okay, how, how do we get to this present where we have these hopes or where we have these fears? And, and then bridge again is, that's a little bit more of the do whatever makes the chorus seem most interesting. Or you can also just have it continue the story back to the chronological one. You can certainly have something. I, I actually tend towards 
choruses that are more theme driven and less story driven. I personally tend to like having the story more in like the verses and the bridge and then having it be mostly thematic in the chorus, which also is very common. In that case, you can just tell a chronological story with your first verse, your second verse, and perhaps your bridge would be the climax of the story. If you have a third verse, then you might have the bridge still be the climax of the story. And then, you know, the the last verse is sort of the epilogue or the conclusion after the climax. But very often the bridge would be the climax of your story if it represents the story. And this is an, another where like, so the only, the thing to think about is if you have the central theme of your chorus, whether that be in the form of a song title or that be in the form of, you just sort of get the sense of the song is about, you know, falling in love for the first time. That's what the song is about. Then you figure out, depending on your song structure, right, if you think you're going to have two verses and a bridge, figure out, okay, what are the three parts of the story that I want to share? Where do I zoom in on? What are the main parts of the story that are important? We do this whenever we even tell a story about, you know, if we're telling our friends or our family a story of something that happened at work, I don't know why we would tell that story. Let's, let's be honest, that's a boring story. But but like, you know, we, we saw this crazy thing happen when we were driving on the road. When, when it comes to stories, right, there are, cer there are certain ele elements that are important and certain ones that aren't. We know that if we're telling a story about, oh, this, this crazy lady went up to the cashier in a gas station and just started screaming at him for no reason. The fact that she was wearing green is not a relevant detail. Right? Who cares? That that doesn't that has no effect on the story, and we all know that. We all know that. So that's something to maybe not include in your outline. The we all have some. We've heard enough stories. We've seen enough stories that we know. If again, I'm not trying to trivialize it, but you have within you the ability to say, okay, I'm writing this song about falling in love in the first time, for the first time. What are the three sub ideas that well support that, or what are the three plot points? in a story that I would tell. It doesn't have to be the perfect three. It just has to be a good three. It probably isn't going to be the perfect three. We're never going to get perfect. But just think about three good, solid plot points to choose in order to flesh out that main story. Because that's usually all we're going to get. Right, maybe, maybe four, maybe four if we have three verses in a bridge. But very rarely does it go past that. Sometimes it does, but very rarely does it go past that. Idea number three. The mind helps to write, but go by sound over mind. This is another example where a lot of people had really, really good struggles slash implied questions by the struggles. Where people were asking about meter, and if the syllables have to match exactly, or is it more about the emphases? How important is meter? You know, I don't remember if rhyme came up, but, you know, a lot of people throughout getting emails from people and all that in the past, rhyme comes up a lot. Um, and, and, then, and then we also get the, you know, people, people, for instance, will, you know, listen to the podcast, get the free guide, et cetera, for music theory, and they'll be like, okay, you said that most songs use 
you know, just basically all the notes and the chords that are in the key of the song, which most songs do. And then they'll be like, but this one Beatles song breaks this rule. Like, yes, rules are meant to be broken to a degree, but usually you start with the rules that cover 99% of the cases. And then, especially when you're good at the rules, when you understand the rules, that's when you can intentionally break them. And, you know, a lot of times at that point is where sometimes people, again, will start to go to over rely on rules and, and not have them in, be in their proper place, which all rules for writing are meant to help us write better. And if it's ever the case that the rules are actually getting in the way of good writing, for the moment, we should throw out those rules. That doesn't mean that the rules don't have value. Of course they have value because generally they exist for a reason. They generally point us in the right direction. But there are always going to be times when for a specific reason in a specific song, it may make sense to break the quote unquote rules. So ultimately go by sound. If the meter is not exactly perfect, but when you sing it, it sounds right and it sounds good. Who cares that the meter isn't perfect? Who cares? Who's going to notice? Answer, nobody. And the only people who might notice are people who might, you know, analyze it. And then if they like the song, they're just going to say that you did it intentionally and it was brilliant. And if they don't like the song, they're going to say like, see, that's why the song sucks because of some arbitrary meter thing that was off that nobody else noticed. And it probably isn't why the song sucks. Uh, well, probably the song doesn't even suck. But even, even, if, it, <laughs> even if it did, like, that's probably not why. So rules, tendencies, learning about meter, rhyme, poetry, music theory, all of that helps with writing. But ultimately, you have to go with what sounds and feels right. If, is the meter imperfect? Does it sound good? If it sounds good, if it sounds right, if, if it sounds natural, who cares? Is the rhyme pattern broken? Right, You set an A, B, A, B rhyme scheme, and then at some point you kind of cheat it and, and, and you just kind of drop a rhyme but you did say the exact word you wanted to, who cares? Who cares? It doesn't matter. Uh, in fact, as if you've been a listener for a while, you know I'm big on like rhyme is the la one of the last things we should care about in lyrics. It's one of the least important. If you're going to choose one, get the meter right, not the rhyme. The meter is way more important than the rhyme. Uh, just, just to have basic poetry or, or, or lyrics that, that make sense and have a rhythm, a natural rhythm to them. Do you think your songs are too wordy or not wordy enough? Too simplistic or too artsy slash poetic? Do you like it in your heart of hearts? Good. Go with it, <laughs> right? Or, or maybe if you don't, then maybe change it. You know, another question that, again, um, it's a good question. But somebody asked something about, you know, what's the average number of syllables or words per line? I forget the exact question. It might have been words or syllables. And it's actually a pretty interesting question. I think it's a legitimate question. It's, it's good to have an idea of like the average. And I think the answer is something like seven syllables because common meter is generally going to be eight syllables, six syllables. Really, it's just four emphases, three emphases. But usually that's in the form of eight syllables, six syllables. So you average that and you're somewhere around seven. So that's probably accurate-ish. But it varies so much that, you know, who knows? So that, that's a good question to ask, but also we shouldn't be too worried about what most songs do. You've heard tons of songs, right? You know what you like, you know what you don't like. 
ultimately we should be writing songs that we would want to hear. There's a, a famous quote by, I, I don't remember who it is. I think it's an author originally. Movie directors, I think, have taken the quote and used it. It's kind of one of those quotes that just has become, uh, everybody says it now. But it, it's, it's basically, you know, I make the movies that I would want to see, or I write the books that I wanted to read. Write the songs that you would want to listen to. So, and and look, there's always going to be somebody that thinks, oh, you're you're too wordy, or you're too simplistic, or you use too many big words, or you don't use enough big words. There's always going to be somebody with different opinions about that. And I think there's some value to discussing the the merits of any side of that, right? But the the, the truth is, it depends. <laughs> it it depends. And, you know, there's going to be some group of people that prefer the poetic, what some people may even deem to be overdone lyrics, and other people are going to like stuff that is so simple that a three-year-old would understand it. Neither of those, I think, is right or wrong, necessarily. We're all going to lean one direction or another. But what, what do you like in a song? So rules are made to be broken is trite, but also true enough. Knowing the rules and tendencies gives you a good, solid starting place. Because then you at least understand 99% of the time, 95% of the time, this is generally the direction that I should go. You know, so, so if I have a song in C major, the vast majority of the chords and melody that I'm going to use in that is going to be just all the natural notes, because those are the notes of C major. That's what it's going to be. It, it, in almost any song, this is going to be true, unless it has multiple key changes. But then it's the same idea. It's just, you know, most of it is in C major until the key changes. Then most of everything is in D major. That doesn't mean we can't use borrowed chords or break the rules in some other way. Of course we can. Of course we can, but that should be intentional. And if it sounds right, it is right. For example, a song recently... Just to my ears, I was like, you know what? It's in 4-4 four, four time throughout the song, but there's this one part, sort of the lead-in right into the chorus, where I thought, you know what? It feels too long having all four beats here, so I changed it to three beats. It's one measure where there's just three beats right before the chorus, which sort of gives this feeling of the chorus hitting earlier than you expect, and it works perfectly. Made a big difference, I thought. Subtle. In fact, if somebody listened to both versions, they probably, they, they might not even notice. They would just think, huh, some, something seems different. And probably when people listen to the song, unless they're deliberately counting it out, one, two, three, four, nobody's going to notice, but it makes a difference. And it, I don't know if you'd even call that breaking a rule because it's not really breaking a rule, but it's certainly breaking outside of the norm, right? Usually if you have a song's time signature, it just stays in that time signature. It stays in that tempo most of the time. Yes, there were tempo changes more in like older music, like the Beatles and stuff, partially because they may or may not have used click tracks and a whole bunch of reasons, right? But, and of course, this is not true at all when we come to, when it comes to compositions, right? When, uh, when it comes to Mozart and all that, it becomes way less true. But I'm talking about songs, with songs with lyrics by songwriters. The tendency is if your song's in 4-4, four, four, it's in 4-4. Four, four. If it's in 3-4, it's in 3-4. If it's in 6-8, it's in 6-8. So to have just one measure tucked in there, that's that's different, maybe 5-4 instead of 4-4 four, four, or whatever it might be. I wouldn't say it's rare, 
because it's it's a trick that certainly is 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 used by artists. But you know, it's it's slightly unconventional. But if it works, if it feels right, go with it. <laughs> feels right, go go with it. That's not good life advice. <laughs> it's terrible life advice that people often give. It's terrible life advice, though. Follow your heart. Overtly dumb. Uh, like, what if that person is a psychopath? Should they follow their heart then, even though they want to do horrible things? No? Oh, okay. So follow your heart is terrible advice then. It's just so easy to show that follow your heart is just overtly terrible advice. That just presumes that everybody's heart is pure and perfect, which none of our hearts are. So anyway, not good advice when it comes to that. And it's maybe a little overly trite, not completely true when it comes to songwriting, but it's mostly true. If it feels right to you, even if it breaks a rule, who cares? Who cares about the rule? The rules, rhyming, meter, all of this exists to serve your song, not the other way around. Your song does not serve some arbitrary rhyme scheme. Your song does not serve some arbitrary meter. Your song does not serve some arbitrary music theory rule. I guess music theory rules, in quotes, aren't arbitrary, but it doesn't, your song doesn't serve music theory either. And I'm a big believer in music theory, but the song doesn't serve music theory. Music theory, meter, rhyme, rules of storytelling, all these things work to support your song. And the second they don't support your song or they make your song worse, throw them out for the moment. That doesn't mean throw them out forever. I'm never using music theory again because in this one case, it has some rule that I shouldn't follow. No, most of the time it's going to serve you well. In the moments it doesn't, throw it out. It's ultimately about the song. What is right for your song? Hopefully this was helpful to you. If it was and you haven't already, something that you can do is leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I know I don't say this enough, but if you found this podcast helpful, a lot of you send me very kind emails, which I appreciate because I see those and it warms my heart and, you know, it outbalances some of the the, the, the hate comments, which admittedly are rare, excuse me. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, it's just it's not it's nice nice to hear nice things too but another way that you can help out is leaving a kind review wherever you listen to podcasts again if you haven't already be sure to grab my free guide 20 different ways to start writing a song it is a great way to change up your sound just a little bit the small difference of starting a song with a piano riff versus a bass line versus with a song title versus with a cool image that resonates with you it can make such a subtle and yet significant difference can help us not be affected as much by writer's block. So be sure to check that out. Songwritertheory.com slash free guide. Thank you as always for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. Hopefully this was helpful to you and I'll talk to you in the next one.